0: Hey, everybody. It's Lon and It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. We've got a whole bunch of topics to talk about that include what you see on screen, but a couple of other things as well. The full index is in the description, so let's get right to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. We had a bunch of super chatters during last week's premiere of the wrap-up. That includes Amda Brown. Eric Brunhammer, Dale Marcel, Jay Rose, and Mark Bollinger. I want to thank them all for their Super Chat contributions. And we had a bunch of new supporters this week through our many member platforms. Robert Reinecke gave via the DonorBox page. Rudy Redekop became a new YouTube member this week. Mark Stevens upgraded his Patreon account, and Daniel Hockman became a new Patreon member. I want to thank everyone for their support of the channel in every which way they supported it. And I also want to thank those of you who have been making ongoing support to the channel and everyone who watches the channel on a regular basis as well, because all of those things equal channel growth. We have a super long end credits to come out a little later this week. So I just want to thank everyone for the support. It is helping us keep all the lights on here and, of course, keeping our staff uh working and paid so i want to thank everyone for their continued support so let's take a look now at the week in review on the extras channel we unboxed the new 8-bit do sn30 pro plus game controller and then of course we reviewed it on the main channel we had kind of a real mix of things this week which i think really exemplifies Uh, the diverse range of topics that we cover here on the channel. We had a laptop review, a game controller review, and a fireproof network-attached storage review. These are all things that greatly interest me, and that is why this channel is always all over the place, because I always chase the shiny objects, as I like to say, because there's so many cool things out there in consumer tech, and I like finding these little nuggets, especially the fireproof boxes and some of these uh, 8 bit dough controllers, which keep getting better with every iteration. Let me know what you thought of this week's videos down below in the comment stream. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And we've been talking a lot about Disney Plus, the upcoming service from the uh, Mickey Mouse Company there. Well, they've got a bundle they'll be launching with the new service that will include Hulu and ESPN Plus for a grand total of $12.99 a month. I think that's a pretty good deal if you are interested in all three of those services. Hulu is going to be ad supported. There will be ad breaks into the mix there, uh, but the Disney Plus service will uh, be ad free, and I'm assuming the ESPN component here will also have ads attached, but still, if you wanted to get access to that content, uh, that's a pretty good deal to get all three. You certainly can't buy all three, I don't think, for that price right now. And Apple is in some hot water once again, because now it looks like they are locking batteries to specific iPhones, according to Vice's motherboard site. They've been doing a lot of work on the right to repair. And of course, Apple is going to say, look, you know, if these people are putting in batteries that are not made by us, it could be a fire hazard. And of course, there have been examples of cheap batteries from China catching fire and burning things down to the ground. Uh, The problem, though, is that Apple doesn't make their official parts available to anyone except someone who's authorized by Apple to do the repair. Uh, The authorization process is really cumbersome, especially for a small independent shop. And a lot of times it just becomes the default that Apple fixes everything at their retail stores. So some will view this as anti-competitive. Apple will say it's all about safety. I think we've got to really get some place on this right to repair legislation that's popping up in states because I really think it's time that uh, we find a path to certification to ensure that people have skills to do the repairs properly and safely. And if so, these manufacturers need to start providing parts to these uh, people to repair things. It's really, I think, important for consumers to have choice. And this is just another salvo in the battle against people having the choice about where to fix their increasingly expensive phones. I haven't changed my iPhone out now in uh, two years and I should have the right to decide where it gets fixed. I just don't wanna buy a new one every time. And if there's a cheaper way to get it fixed by somebody I know and trust, why not let them do it? But apparently now that is not possible. Uh, Another item related to Apple is that Amazon and Apple had made a deal a little while back to get Apple products featured prominently on Amazon.com. And in exchange for that, Amazon agreed to start delisting a lot of third-party refurbishers who were selling used iPads and iPhones and other Apple products on the Amazon platform. Uh, Those folks are still off, but it looks like the Federal Trade Commission is looking into this deal as potentially anti-competitive because these folks were legitimate businesses selling legitimate used hardware, which they have a right to do. And Amazon essentially kicked them off the platform in order to allow the first-party seller to have a spot at the table there, so this will be something to keep an eye on as well. Uh, but clearly, Apple is just overly aggressive in this part of the marketplace, and I think this scrutiny is well-warranted. We'll have to see what develops out of this. And speaking of beating up on the little guy, it looks like Take-Two Interactive is going after one of their super fans, a YouTuber named Supmadoe after he discovered some uh, leaked footage that the company had inadvertently released online. So get this, and this is according to this Eurogamer article here. Uh, Take-Two Interactive has a new game called Borderlands 3 coming out. I've never played this game before, but it's very popular. Sup Maddo, the YouTuber in question here, uh, covers that game exclusively on his channel. He's one of the loudest voices in the Borderlands community, apparently. And when Take-Two posted up a trailer for the new game, they were showing off a feature that allows streamers to uh, transmit metadata of their character's loadout so people don't have to ask in stream what weapons they have apparently connected to their character. And when they did that, uh, they had put in, somewhere on the video, some text indicating what the Twitch ID was of the stream that they were recording for the trailer. He went to that address, and sure enough, they were broadcasting out to the world uh, this new Borderlands 3 game, which he then grabbed and started reporting on. This was all publicly accessible. It doesn't appear like he hacked into this or got anything leaked out from the company illegally. This was all stuff that just managed to get online publicly uh, through those uh, Twitch IDs that appeared in the trailer. At least that's how I understand this situation. Now, what's happened since then is that Take-Two... Uh, has not only issued copyright strikes against his channel, which they have now revoked, but they also sent a private investigator to his door to question him. In fact, apparently there were two guys in suits that showed up there uh, to start asking him questions. And the crazy thing is that Take-Two didn't deny doing any of this. They just said, yeah, we sent the investigators out to his place because you know this was our private corporate information and it got out. But really, they were the reason why it got out. Now, I know in the grand scheme of things, people don't consider someone like Sup Matto here a journalist, but he really kind of is. He's covering a community, he's covering news independently, and he got a hold of information that was available publicly and reported on it. And now he's being harassed to the point where he's now just given up on his YouTube career. He's kind of taken a step back, he says, in the article, and just going to let everything kind of boil over. I think they owe him an apology And I really get nervous when we start seeing things like this happening. Because right now, yeah, it's a video game company. Who cares? But next week, it could be a major corporation who's doing something wrong or illegal that leaked information, whether it be public or provided through a whistleblower, gets to a journalist. What's going to happen? Are they going to sue them now, too? Uh, And this is the kind of practice that really makes me nervous. They're doing everything wrong here, abusing the uh, DMCA, abusing YouTube's content ID. I'm sure they're they're doing some of that as well. And, of course, intimidating this guy the old-fashioned way by sending a bunch of suits to his door. So we'll see where this goes, but shame on take two. And there's a big call to boycott the game now as a result of this. And it's really crazy when companies do go after their superfans the way they have here, and hopefully this will uh, be a lesson to them when they see the sales of their game are not where they hope they would be. Now, this next story is an article that appeared in Fast Company, and I strongly suggest you share this article with your friends and family. It's about why people keep falling for phishing emails, and what they are reporting here is a presentation that Google made from their Gmail team and they looked into not only statistics involving how many people click on these things, how many are coming through and why, but they also looked at some of the psychological reasons behind phishing attacks and why people respond to them and the tactics that the fishers are using to exploit some of those psychological traits that lead to someone clicking on one of these emails and sending their private information out. It is a great read and definitely worth looking at. And again, please share this with your friends, family, and coworkers, everybody, because they should learn more about what tactics they're doing to trick people, and I thought it was very informative, so definitely look into that. Now, the Ring doorbell is in the news because they've been working on local partnerships with law enforcement. Basically, what they've been doing is getting local law enforcement agencies to endorse the public's use of the Ring Neighbors app, and this is an app that allows you to connect anonymously with your neighbors in a certain geographic vicinity from your home, And you can share footage from your Ring cameras and presumably other video cameras as well if you can get that stuff into the app. And this, of course, is owned, run, and managed by Ring, which is a division of Amazon. It's nothing that the local law enforcement agency will have in their own uh, government servers. Yet they're getting these agencies to endorse people to use this as almost an official way to communicate with the police department. And from the article that we see here on Vice's motherboard site, you can see exactly the extent to which Ring is controlling the narrative and the messaging, even providing talking points for them to use on social media for things that are happening around town, including people that might be complaining about the speed of of an investigation, for example. They encourage a response that suggests a security audit of the home might be something worth doing, which of course would lend them to suggesting a Ring doorbell and camera to install in your home with an ongoing monthly subscription fee. And they're essentially deputizing the police, pardon the pun, into becoming sales officers of the, of the company here to push more hardware and to push app installs. And there's, to some degree, an incentive to the local agency for doing that. Officers are given a discount on buying Ring hardware, and they're also providing free Ring hardware to the agencies to give out to the public, which, of course, will drive more sales. And this is not something I think should be a function of local government, yet 225 agencies have already agreed to do it and they're encouraging people to get their surveillance footage online and turned over to a third party. Uh, Law enforcement can ask for footage through this app, uh, but you can say no, but if you say no, they'll just go to ring and subpoena it anyhow, so they're going to get it uh, one way or the other. So it's just something that really sets me a bit uneasy here, uh, just because I don't think this is something that's good for the public, and if you really want to be able to do something like this, I think the local agencies should be doing it themselves as opposed to relying on third parties with questionable privacy goals here. My other issue with Ring is the overall culture and ethics of the division that Amazon uh, created after they acquired the company. So back before the Amazon acquisition, uh, we uncovered on this channel that they were running around paying small YouTube creators $250 to make a positive review of their product. In fact, they specifically asked me to make a positive review of the product in exchange for money. And in the course of going through the different videos that were appearing about the Ring doorbell, only one or two of over a dozen that were posted actually disclosed that they were paid to make the video in the first place. So this is just a company that started with, I think, a very poor uh, ethical approach to doing business that is now Uh, in a larger company, but I'm guessing a lot of the culture of that division is the same as it was before they were acquired by the larger company here, and I just don't like this at all. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it down below in the comments. And last week we talked about how Google and Apple were turning over recordings from their voice assistants to contractors. It looks like Microsoft is doing something similar with Skype calls. Now, they are not listening to normal conversations, at least they say they're not, uh, but they were taking conversations that were making use of their translation feature that will allow real time translation as one party is talking to another. They're apparently listening into some of those calls to better improve the service, just like Apple and Google said they were doing with their voice assistants. But this certainly is an issue because I don't think people were notified, at least specifically during those calls, that they were being snooped on. But there you go. And Microsoft uh, apparently said they were doing it, too, and they're going to probably change their practices as a result of this. Now, as some of you know, I'm a big fan of the game No Man's Sky. I have liked it since the day it came out, which was not a popular opinion at the time, but I felt there was a lot of potential to this game. Now, if you're not familiar with it, it's a space exploration game where you start off on a planet Most of the time that planet is hostile to life and you have to get your resources gathered to first of all keep yourself alive and then get your ship going and you go off on this lonely journey through this procedurally generated universe that has billions of planets in it. In fact, uh, most of the planets that you visit will have never been seen before by anyone and likely will not be seen again. I've been playing the game now for three years and I only first encountered a planet that somebody else discovered about a week ago, just to give you a sense of the scale of this game. It is just remarkable. Uh, The artwork is amazing. It's come a long way since its initial release. They've added so many new features to it. And the big update coming on Wednesday uh, is going to bring VR support to the mix, which is why I've been on this VR craze for the last month or two and trying to get all the right equipment put together, because I really wanted to upgrade my resolution Uh, in anticipation of this game's updated release, which, again, is on Wednesday. The other thing they're adding is an easier multiplayer function, so they can have uh, 32 people on the PC playing together at the same time. And I thought what might be fun, because I love the game so much, is to do a live stream. And if you have the PC version of No Man's Sky, I've got a form here you can fill out. Maybe we can all play together on a live stream. I'd love to get 32 fans of the show together Uh, to explore a little quadrant of the galaxy uh, with each other. It might be a fun thing to do. And let me know and leave a little note in the form there and we'll get uh, something put together. Uh, Just know, though, that you have to have the PC version in order to play with me because you cannot do a cross-platform multiplayer on this. So just keep that in mind. And another little feature that they added to this new update is that if you happen to be out in the galaxy somewhere and happen to run into somebody who is... Uh, in the same place as you, you will now finally see them and interact with them with a random encounter. It's probably unlikely to happen that often, uh, but it is possible. But of course, they have a hub world now where you can meet up a lot more conveniently. So fill out the form down below. Let's give it a shot. It might be kind of a fun little live stream to do for one of my favorite games. And Now I've got a couple of updates for you all on some prior content. Uh, Back about four and two years ago, I uploaded some videos about Cody. Uh, one involved the Downloader app from my friend Elias Saba that allows you to easily sideload applications onto an Amazon Fire TV box. And then we also had one where I detailed the HD Home Run Kodi add-on, uh, which you can use to watch live television. And to my surprise, both of these videos got randomly demonetized by YouTube the other day. And I occasionally get a demonetization on my channel. It's not very often that it occurs and I thought this might've been just another misclassification. So I went in and did my appeal and they denied it and said it's been confirmed by a manual review that somebody actually looked at this and said, nope, you can't put any, uh, you know, any ads on these videos anymore because they're not appropriate for the platform. And I'm thinking, what about these is not appropriate uh, other than the fact that they have Cody in common? Because one of the things we did with the downloader app was install Cody on the Amazon Fire TV in the video. And it looks like Cody might be a red flag monetization item on YouTube. And if that's the case, this is very bad news for this channel and many others that cover people watching media the way they want to. And I'm really concerned about this. Knock on wood, I haven't seen anything else get flagged. I'm checking all the time. Unfortunately, YouTube doesn't even notify me when I get demonetized, so I have to keep checking myself. But I'm very, very concerned about this. And I just wanted to raise the issue because this is not something that should be demonetized, number one. And number two, uh, this makes me less likely to do more Cody content in the future if it means that it's going to result in a financial loss to the channel in doing so. I'm gonna keep doing it, but it's just something that's gonna be in the back of my mind now. I haven't done anything on Cody in a while, but it bothers me because we do cover Cody, we cover Plex, we look at a lot of other similar things, and I'm not liking this. And the worst part is is that uh, there is nothing about these videos that meets any of these bulleted topics that they say are not advertiser friendly. Uh, So I don't know where they're coming from on this. I asked for a clarification. I asked for the reason why I got nothing and it's bothering me quite a bit because this is just another example of how YouTube just doesn't communicate things properly to creators and we have no idea what is allowed or not and it seems like they're always changing the rules on us without any real uh, set of, of, of reason behind it, which is what's happening here. Uh, And what really gets me about this whole platform in general is that uh, they've pushed a lot of content that could be valuable to society off the platform or at least made it not profitable, including the coverage of news and controversial issues. And I'm seeing on podcasts a lot of people covering these issues with sponsors. So YouTube's got to work better with their sponsors to figure out, uh, what's appropriate, what creators perhaps are safer than others perhaps in covering some of these things and really make this more clear to folks because I'm concerned that over time here we're going to start seeing more and more demonetization for more and more topics with no reason behind it all and it really has me concerned. So I'm not sure if there's anything more that I can do at this point. I did ask my partner manager who didn't have any idea either so I don't know. I mean it's just clear that maybe Cody is now on the blacklist of topics on YouTube And it might impact other channels as well. I'm making this little statement here in an effort to see if anyone else got demonetized also to try to figure out what's going on on the YouTube side. But this doesn't seem right to me. I'm gonna try a few more contacts and outreach to see if I can make any progress on it or at least get an answer uh, as to what the reasoning was behind it. Thankfully, it's only two videos now, and I hope it stays that way. I'll keep you posted. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question on a similar topic comes in from Bryce Holland in regards to Plex. And in full disclosure, Plex is an occasional sponsor here on the channel. Uh, Bryce asks that he saw an article recently that said Plex promotes piracy. He's definitely looking into Plex for himself, but he's curious to hear my opinion of it. And I think he's probably referring to this article in The Verge, And oftentimes, some of the editors at The Verge uh, let their arrogance kind of seep through into their articles every once in a while, and this one is a great example of that, uh, where they kind of make the allegation here that Plex makes piracy just another streaming service. Now, do people use Plex illegally? Yes, some people drive their cars illegally too, Uh, but it doesn't mean that the car is causing the crime. And in this case, Plex certainly makes it easy to share media, and if you acquired that media illegally, it sure will let you share that media easier with other people. Uh, But I would venture to say that a bulk of the people that use Plex, like myself, are probably not sharing their media with anybody. The only people that can get access to my server is my wife and my two kids and me. That is it. I have media that we've got on Blu-rays, on DVDs, a lot of the stuff for the kids that I was able to take off those DVDs. Those DVDs are still sitting on the shelf upstairs. I put them on the server down here so that the kids can watch their content uh, whenever we need them to watch it. And if they uh, feel like they want to watch their little leapfrog cartoon that's been really great for my daughter to learn her letters and numbers... I can pull it up on her iPad. I can pull it up on the TV. Basically, the media collection is available to me anywhere in the world whenever I need it, and it's just within my personal use. That's it. Now, could I share this with other people? Yes, I get requests from some viewers every once in a while when they find me on Plex, but I don't connect those servers together because sharing my media would be illegal if it goes outside of my house to somebody else. And that's why I use it in a different way perhaps than The Verge here is insinuating. But there's really nothing that you will get in trouble with for Plex because Plex itself is not illegal. It's providing a means of organizing and using and consuming the media that you have presumably uh, purchased legally for yourself I use it to organize my movies, my TV shows that I've recorded off my DVR over the air, Uh, and I also use it to organize my music because I've got decades worth of CDs that I've been slowly ripping into lossless format onto that Plex server, and I'm supplementing it with some stuff on Tidal now as well, and it's been a great experience for me overall. So does Plex promote piracy? No. Does it make it easier for some pirates to share media with their friends? Yes, I guess so. Uh, But for most folks, I think, who use it the way that Plex was intended, it provides a lot of convenience and and ease for the media that they have invested their money into. And I do support uh, people's ability to take a physical disk, take the data off that disk and store it, uh, for their more convenient access later. Is that legal? I don't know. I look at it maybe as an act of civil disobedience if it is illegal, uh, but I do think consumers deserve choice, and if we still have the choice to buy physical media, how I consume that physical media in the privacy of my home is my business, and that is my stance on Plex. So if you're looking at Plex and you really want to get your media organized, I think it's a great tool. Uh, it is not illegal in of itself. Your use of it will not attract any unseemly law enforcement attention, and I think it's a great product, which is why I'm proud to have them as a sponsor here on the channel. Now, this next question comes in from Parker Devitry about mini DV tapes. And this just reminded me of a big box of tapes that I've got on the other side of the room here that i really got to get uh, saved onto my computer. I had a mini DV camcorder that I bought Uh, 21 years ago now. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. And it amazed me with its visual quality. I had a three-chip Sony TRV900. I still have it in the back closet there, but it's not playing back the tapes well anymore. And the tapes are fine, but I've just got to get some time to just digitize everything. And he was wondering what were some good practices for it. And one of the good things about MiniDV is that uh, every MiniDV camcorder had a firewire output so you could digitally grab the media off the tape with no loss of quality. Typically, when you're converting analog video, you get a generation loss every time you run it through a cable. But in the case of MiniDV, it's digital from start to finish if you are capturing over FireWire. Uh, So my first suggestion to Parker here is to get a USB to FireWire adapter uh, to get the capture going. I'm gonna use Final Cut Pro to capture the video because I can store it in ProRes format. Uh, but iMovie works on the Mac still, I believe, for capturing DV footage, and I think Adobe Premiere and even, like, Premiere Elements might work as well. It's a pretty well-established format that I don't think is going out of uh, vogue here yet, so that might be worth taking a look at. Uh, Commodore, in that post on Facebook, uh, had a good addition to this, and he would say that you archive it in the native DV format if you can, uh, because that way you've got the original source video exactly as it was recorded, And that might be really useful that if in the future there are some better upscaling technologies that come around, uh, you'll have the original source material to work with. Because remember, when you are capturing DV video, it is interlaced 480 video, because that's the TV format it was used with back in the day. Uh, An interlaced video can be often very difficult or at least tricky to get deinterlaced properly depending on the application that you're using Uh, So having that original format is a really good place to start. And I believe when I record the video with Final Cut Pro onto my computer, it will be capturing it at 480i in ProRes, which should be uh, just as good as the original format. But I'll mess around with it a little bit. And the reason why I'm posting this here is because I'd love to get your opinions of this project as well, because again, I've got 30 or 40 tapes I gotta go through over there. They have some really fun stuff for, from the time that I was starting to play around with video and try to figure out a way to make it work. So I'd love to uh, get some advice from all of you as well. You can leave me those comments down below. Now these next two questions involve video games and how we depict them on the channel. And my hope is in soliciting feedback from all of you that we don't devolve into a nasty political discussion in the comment stream below. I'm just trying to get a sense as to what's appropriate for this channel and its viewers, because I'm often making sure that I'm meeting the needs of the viewers. And this is one of those instances where uh, I might be meeting the needs of some viewers on one side, but potentially offending viewers on another. So let me show you uh, two sets of questions here. The first one comes from Richard Masada, who wanted to know my thoughts on video games in general. And I wanted to give you this context first to know where I'm coming from on this. Do I think that video games cause a desensitization towards violence, Uh, In other words, if they start playing them at too young an age, does it impact their, their thoughts on being violent in the future? And I don't think that's the case. I think people that have a certain state of mind will have that state of mind irrespective of what they played when they were kids. However... I will say that I'm reluctant to have my kids watch me play a game where I'm hacking people to bits or whatever. I don't really play those games much anymore. Uh, When I was a teenager, I loved those games, and I wasn't violent. I never had a desire to go out and hurt anybody or anything like that, and I thought those games were fun. As I've gotten older, my tastes have changed, as I think it happens to many people. I used to love action movies when I was a kid as well. I stopped watching those too. I think it's just a matter of you know, what people's states of mind are in regards to how they uh, conduct themselves and whether or not they're prone to committing violence. Do I think video games cause things? No, uh, but I do think they are probably attractive to people that are in states of mind where they are uh, prone to violence, but most people who play games don't commit acts of violence as a result of playing the game. And I think for some of us, sometimes it's a stress relief to go out and blow stuff up for a little while in a video game and uh, go on with our lives and everything is just fine. And that's been the context of how I've approached Gaming content here on the channel, and I wanted to bring up a comment I got from Dave Bulls, who um, you know said that some of the footage that we've shown of games that we've used in the course of our PC reviews might be offensive to people because they're showing somebody shooting at somebody else. And I think the example he's probably seeing more often than not is when we use footage from Half Life Two. Uh, where we show that scene in the rail yard where you're running up the stairs and shooting at the guards there. And I think showing video game footage in a PC review is critical to the consumer understanding whether or not the, the computer can run the game. Uh, Fortnite, for example, is a, an immensely popular game. I know a lot of kids that play it who aren't violent or even remotely prone, prone, prone to violence, but just like to play the game, and you have to show it running, and that's the context of the game, is watching people running around with guns shooting at others, other people, and it's in that instance all in good fun, nobody gets hurt, and that's all it is. But um, do we maybe wanna show different parts of the game? Do we wanna not show people shooting at each other, for example, is that something that this audience of this channel Uh, finds to be a little more offensive. I know that we have made editorial calls on this channel before we've posted videos, uh, especially when it comes to Grand Theft Auto V. I'm not comfortable showing characters shooting at police officers, even though that's something that happens in that game, for example. Uh, Yet it's a game that's important for viewers when they're looking at a gaming PC. Can it run that game? And we're just very careful about what we choose to show in that game, uh, just because there's certain things that I think might be offensive to some, and perhaps... Uh, What I think is not offensive to some might be offensive to some. So I'd just like to hear from you all uh, as to what you think is appropriate. Should we just keep things the way they are? I suspect that's going to be the opinion of most. Um, Should we perhaps show a first-person shooter in a less violent sense? Can we show the character running through without shooting anybody, for example? Would that be better? I don't know. I just want to get some opinion from all of you in my Q&A for you this week. I have a feeling that in asking this question, things are going to go awry very quickly in the comment thread, so I'm going to ask you all to have a productive discussion, and I mean that sincerely. I'm going to keep an eye on these comments. I don't want to get things getting out of control, but I do think it's important uh, for us to have this discussion about what we're putting out there, because maybe there's a parent somewhere that doesn't want their child uh, playing that particular game, and they, for that reason, because of the violence that's portrayed in that game, and is that fair to that parent? Given that I'm mostly search generated uh, for that scene to be displayed, where we could be showing something that doesn't show a shooting incident occurring within that game. I don't know. Let me know down in the comments below. And again, be nice to each other. We all have to live with each other, and I'm just looking for some good advice here. So. Leave those comments down below, and again, be nice and back up your arguments with facts. Okay, have at it. And our pick of the week this week is something fun I found on Steam the other day. It's called the Orville Interactive Fan Experience. It is in early access, and it will be free forever from what I understand. And what it lets you do is walk around the Orville from the popular TV show. They recreated most of the major sets that you see on the television show, including the bridge, the captain's office, and a few other spots, including the classroom and the sick bay and whatever. And it's a really cool little app uh, that will be continually worked on. I think this has the blessing of the Orville uh, production folks, because this same team had put together a very similar application for the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek The Next Generation. That was awesome. In fact, they had a VR version of it where you could walk around the Enterprise in virtual reality, but alas, CBS shut them down, which was a big bummer. And that same team, I think, was asked by the Orville folks to put this together for their ship with their blessings. So this is where they'll be uh, putting their effort into. So if you're a fan of the show, it's kind of a fun little novelty. They will be adding VR support to it very shortly as well. Uh, so that'll be kind of fun to play around with. Uh, This ship, of course, doesn't have the uh, nostalgia that the original Enterprise, or at least the new Enterprise from the next generation had for me, but it's still fun nonetheless. Uh, Check it out on Steam at the link you see on screen here. Now, this week on the channel, I've got a few things planned. Uh, We already shot our review of the compact laser printer from HP, the MFP179FNW, so stay tuned for that. Uh, My Pi 4, Raspberry Pi 4, that is, is finally getting here tomorrow tomorrow. So hopefully by the end of the week, we'll have a review of it up. Uh, There still is not yet official support for RetroPie and a few of the other things that I know you would like to see, uh, but I am going to integrate as much as I can with it. I'm going to see if I can get RetroArch running on it, for example. And this, of course, has been out now for about a month. It took me that long to get one. Uh, So if there are things that you would like to see covered that haven't been covered in other places, please let me know uh, down in the comment stream so I can uh, direct my uh, my review efforts here, because I'm eager to get this out to you all, and I want to make sure that I can answer whatever questions are out there. I did order the four gigabyte version, so I've got the $55 one, uh, but it will perform very similarly to the one gigabyte model that's $35, just with more RAM, so that obviously will result in some performance gains, and we got another single board computer, and it's a little beefier. Uh, this is the UDU Bolt, and it is powered by an AMD Ryzen embedded processor. We've been playing around with this for the last couple of days. We've got a couple of games we're still trying to get working on it, but it's not bad uh, for what it is, and it does a lot better than some of the Intel-based mini PCs that we've been looking at here on the channel for the last year or so. Uh, The only downside to it is that I don't believe this motherboard fits into any kind of standard case. So it's not ITX compatible from what I gather, and you have to buy the case from them. I did do this during their Kickstarter or their Indiegogo or whatever, and I didn't get the case with it under the assumption I could just put it into any case. Apparently that's not the case, so uh, we'll have it running uh, just on the table here, so don't get freaked out when you see a circuit board running during that review. I know some people get nervous about that sort of thing. Uh, And I also got in another inexpensive Apple Pencil alternative. Uh, This one is $49, it's even less expensive than the Logitech Crayon we looked at just recently. It works with all of the new iPads, including the two iPad Pros. It is probably best suited for note-taking because it doesn't have pressure or edge sensitivity, uh, but it does a pretty nice job of taking notes and we will cover what you can do with this thing from adding it a little bit later in the week as well, along with whatever else happens to show up in my mailbox. So lots of stuff planned for the week. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution I'm also expanding my use of YouTube membership slightly. Uh, We're going to have a $1 and $5 option available on YouTube membership. Uh, The link that you see on screen here will bring you to my donor box page, which is my preferred vehicle for contributions to the channel, but we also support Patreon as well. My philosophy is to support as many platforms that are out there to make it easiest for viewers uh, but my preference is the DonorBox page that I have set up just because DonorBox doesn't take anything at the moment from me uh, for your contribution. It goes just directly to my credit card processor. So good stuff there. I really appreciate everyone's support of the channel. We have our ongoing relationship with Plex where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We'll get a slightly larger commission if you gift a Plex Pass to a friend or buy one for yourself. We have other channels that you can support me on including my extras channel where we've got supplementary content and unboxings, my podcast is an audio version of this show, we have the snippets channel which takes portions of this show and uploads them separately for better search and sharing, and then we've got my live stream archive at slash livestreams where you can watch every live stream that I've done in the past. If you like what I do and want to get notified, you can click the bell and you will get notifications every time I go live or upload something, and you can do that on each of my channels to get those notifications out. We have my very infrequent email list at lawntv email that you can sign up for. We have the Facebook page at lawntv Facebook. We have our Facebook group, which is always active. A lot of great folks in there chatting away at lawntv slash Facebook group. And then we have my store at lan.tv store where you can buy previously used items that we've reviewed here on the channel and I'm now reselling. And I'll have some more stuff hopefully up by the end of the week there. And if you sign up for my store alert, I will email you every time I add something to the store and you can click in very quickly and buy that stuff and take it off my hands because we need to get rid of more stuff here. It's starting to fill up again. So lots more to come on that front. And that will do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support and comments and questions. And I'm looking forward to our... Uh, video game editorial discussion. Again, politely and an informed discussion is what I'm looking for here. So let's have it. And that will do it for now. And until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. A lot of cool stuff to come in the days and weeks ahead. And again, let me know what you want to see out of that Raspberry Pi review. We'll see you soon. And once again, thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.tv supporters, including Gold Level Supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, emudev.org, Tom Albrecht. Brian Parker. And Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month.